In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only the leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. All right. If you would, get out your Bible, open it up to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21 is where we're going to be this morning. If you are a kid, you are at this time dismissed to go to Kid City, where you will get your own kid-friendly Bible time. Hey, uh, maybe you're new to the church and you wonder, why in the world does the church spend so much time talking about the Bible? Well, as we begin to open it up today, I want you to know, again, that we believe that the written word, the Bible, reveals the living word, Jesus. And really, our aim this morning is to understand more fully who Jesus is, because we believe when we see Jesus, we see God, which feels like a big deal. It is a big deal. And so my hope this morning is that you, what you'll do is you'll walk away this morning uh, knowing that, um, that what we're talking about really matters, that God is real, that he has a plan for your life and that it's all made possible through Jesus. And so we want to we set our eyes on Jesus from the beginning, and then, and then even as we leave this place, set our eyes on Jesus. Um, I began a series called One Week to Change the World. And this is uh, a series where I'm taking each of the days just, just prior to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, and I'm taking a Sunday, and, and, and touching on each one of the days. So like last Sunday was the Sunday before the crucifixion, and then today is the Monday before the crucifixion. And, and it gets ready to get interesting in the next few weeks because a lot more happens on Tuesday. Uh, but for today, there's only really one thing we think that happened uh, in the life of Jesus just prior to him being crucified. And it's found in Matthew chapter 21, and Sarah read the passage. Thank you, Sarah, for doing that. That was uh, awesome, as always. And it's found in Matthew chapter 21, and uh, it's called, uh, it's, it's, it's a story about Jesus uh, uh, cursing or, or pronouncing judgment on a fig tree. Uh, but before we get into it, I want to ask you a question, see who the really smart people in the room are. Um, have you ever heard of the word duplicitous? Y'all know what that word means? Raise your hand if you know what duplicitous means. I didn't like three weeks ago. Um, I was publicly schooled. Maybe that's why. Um, but I, I didn't know. I never, never heard of the word duplicitous. But um, it got brought up in a conversation with a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine. And we were talking about a mutual friend of ours who had uh, recently just gotten in lost his job. And the reason he lost his job was because um, it turns out that he had been living basically two lives. And his, his work life was to the work of a pastor. But his private li- in his private life, he was having multiple affairs. And this was happening over the course of like 10 years. And, and my friend who I was talking with uh, we were we were discussing this situation because it affects him and it affects me and because of our circles of influence. And uh, he used the word duplicitous, and I, I wasn't exactly sure what he meant. But you know how you do when somebody uses something or says something that you don't know what it means. 
you don't, you're like, yeah, man, with you, duplicitous, you know, and I had no idea. So I went home and I Googled it and I found out that the word duplicitous means that <clears throat> there's, a, there's a disconnect. There, there's the, there's the, what we try to convince people is true about us and then what's really true about us. There is the, the external appearance and then there's the real self. And the difference between the two oftentimes is deception or lying. And so in the case of uh, our friend uh, who had, had got found out, uh, the difference between his public life was pastor, Christian, and his private life was cheater, liar. And uh, it, it's a problem. There's a disconnect, right? And this morning what we're going to see is that Jesus cares about our, not only our external behavior, but he cares about our inner self, and he cares that those two things are, are the same. Because what we're going to see in this passage is that by trusting in Jesus, people will produce spiritual fruit. So in other words, what's inside of you will come out over time. You can only live a duplicitous life for so long. And some of you are here and you have an external image. You are good at kind of fooling people into believing something about you and who you are and the way you are and what you think on the outside. But on the inside, there's something that's missing. And uh, there's a lot of grace in this place. And I want you to know if that's you and you're here and you have some kind of secret uh, behavior that nobody knows about, but you know dishonors God, or, or if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're convicted in this moment, right from the beginning, there's a lot of grace, there's a lot of mercy, then there's a whole lot of forgiveness. You see, the reason Jesus came is because all of us at some level have been duplicitous in our behavior. What we try to project is different than what's really on our, in our hearts because what's in, deep in our hearts is, is a problem, which we'll talk about in just a second. But I want you to know that by trusting in Jesus, people will produce spiritual fruit. So what we want to come out of our lives and what we want to be real in our life is this, this thing called fruit or the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you've heard about it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 lists the types of things that come out of our lives whenever we're truly connected to God. In other words, what's real on the outside is true of us on the inside. Here's the things that comes out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does anybody have all those? I don't. Maybe you see one on the list that you're like, oh man, I'm, you know, I really struggle in that area. We're going to talk a bit about that. I want you to see more of these things coming out of your life and it be really who you are, not just fake. I don't want you to live a duplicitous life because it's exhausting. So there's a story where Jesus, um, just the day before, had come into Jerusalem, gone into the temple, turned over the tables in anger because their people had turned this place of worship into a place, what he calls a den of robbers, where there was things that were happening that were dishonoring God. He goes out of the city to rest, comes back into the city, and on his way back into the city, he's hungry. So we pick that up in Matthew chapter 21, verse 18. It says, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. We should stop here because I love this moment for Jesus's life because we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. And when we see things like he was hungry, what it reminds us is that he was fully human. He experienced some of the same human needs that we have. 
Verse 19, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. Now, you and I at first glance may just think, well, this is not a big deal. But what you ought to know about the story is that the leaves of a fig tree ordinarily come after there's figs on the tree. So Jesus is hungry. He's walking along the road. There's a fig tree. He sees leaves. He expects there to be fruit, but there is no fruit. And he said to it, according to the passage, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. The way Matthew writes the story is it's immediate. Now, this is kind of an interesting story, an interesting thing for Matthew to tell us about. And the fact that it is in the section that is the last week of Jesus' life before his crucifixion and resurrection, I mean, everything in the Bible is important, but it really ought to pique our interest that's especially important because it's during this week and it's Jesus who's hungry. He goes to a tree. There's leaves, no fruit. He gets angry. He acts very harshly towards this tree, wouldn't you say? Uh, this is the only instance in the gospel story where Jesus kills something with a supernatural power. And you may be able to think of another instance. I couldn't. I don't think there is one. This is the only instance in where Jesus uses his supernatural power to kill something in the gospel. So it stands out to us. And I, now maybe you can identify with this, this emotion that Jesus has. You know what it's called theologically? Being hangry. <laughs> you heard of that? You're so hungry, you're angry. That's what Jeannie says. Jeannie, Jeannie will say, Russell, chill out. You're getting hangry. I'm like, just get me. I need some food. You know, I need some ribs or something, you know. And, and this is what happened. Jesus is hangry here in this moment, maybe. It's, but it's a harsh reaction. And so we begin to ask the question, what's really going on here? Why did Jesus have such a harsh reaction to this tree with leaves that should have had fruit but didn't? So harsh that he pronounces judgment on it and the leaves wither. And we'll see later that the disciples are shocked by his action towards the tree. It didn't seem like the gentle Jesus that we knew leading up to this point, but Jesus is apparently having a rough couple of days, right? I mean, just the day before, he goes into the temple, and he gets angry because people are conducting commerce that's ungodly in the temple, and then the next day, he wakes up, he's hungry, he comes into the city, and he pronounces judgment. Two days in a row, it seems like things are, he's getting a little riled up. What's happening here, it seems, is that there's something more than just he's hungry and there's a tree that doesn't have fruit on it. What we begin to learn as we think about this story in the context of other stories of the Bible in this image of a tree that ought to be producing fruit is we begin to hear from the Scriptures that, that Jesus has an issue with another type of person or a group of people that's not bearing fruit, but ought to be bearing fruit. And that group of people is called Israel. This is who he's frustrated by or indignant with when he goes into the temple, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people who have been given the law according to the Old Testament, and they've been given a promise from God. The promise from God according to the Old Testament is, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey me, you will suffer. Well, the Israelites obeyed some and disobeyed a lot, and it became obvious that their religion was based on something other than them trusting God and what God has for them. But they still wanted to be religious, so on the outside, they looked quite religious. They knew how to act spiritual, but instead, on the inside, things were not happening. Jesus' anger and frustration has nothing to do with his hunger. 
he's judging the tree for its barrenness. And let me tell you something. The Bible is quite clear that when something is supposed to produce fruit and it does not, it is a big deal to God. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10 says, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The context of Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is talking about Israel's religious leaders who try to appear fruitful but are, in fact, fruitless. Their lives are not producing the behaviors, something like love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, you know, the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about earlier. Their lives are not producing these kinds of behaviors because they don't have a genuine faith in God. So when Jesus walks up to this tree and it does not have fruit on it, but it has leaves like it should have fruit, he pronounces judgment on it and it begins to help us to think about Jesus, how seriously he takes it when things that are supposed to produce fruit do not produce fruit. It was analogous in this story, this tree to Israel, which wasn't bearing fruit. The tree had leaves, it looked healthy, but it was not doing the very thing it was meant to do. It was duplicitous, right? It was trying to project that, hey, look at me, I'm a tree, I'm a fig tree. But when you look more closely, you realize that the fruit that it was supposed to produce was not there. Here's a point for you. The people of God bear spiritual fruit. This is the truth. The people of God bear spiritual fruit. Now, I will show you in the end um, how you can become more of a fruit bearer. But let's just keep thinking about Israel. They, they, uh, they had their ceremonies. They had their religious activity. They had their scrupulous observances. They had a lot of words that they said that tried to make them look spiritual. They had their garb, their the external garb. There was no real devotion. It would be like in our day, a person who wears um, a Christian T-shirt has a, a Bible verse tattooed in a language they don't read, but it's Greek or Hebrew on their arm. Uh, they drive a car with a bumper sticker that, of the church they go to. They uh, attend church every week. They, they post and repost and repost and comment on Christian articles on their social media while at the same time, they harbor racism in their heart. They lack self-control in areas of food and drink. They treat others rudely. They're harsh in the home. They're a jerk at work. That would be like a modern-day example of what Jesus is taking issue with here. And Israel had been behaving like this for a number of years. In fact, uh, a passage connected to this one, Isaiah chapter 5, there's this little phrase in there describing the way Israel behaves that God has such an issue with. And it's in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They got things backwards. You see, Israel uh, tried to look like fruit bearers, but it was all false. And, and here's something I want you to know this morning is that we might be able to fool others, but we cannot fool God. 
It's impossible to live duplicitous before God. I mean, you can do it before others, before your parents, before your friends, for your spouse, before your children, but you cannot live a duplicitous life before God because he knows. This is the amazing thing about God. He knows right now what's true about every one of us, good and bad. We might be able to fool others, but God knows our hearts. And I don't know about you, there's something about that to me that's a little bit of a relief. You know? Because not only does he know our hearts, but he also loves us. He knew our hearts long before he sent Jesus to die on a cross so that he could have a right relationship with us, we could have a right relationship with him. Isn't that amazing? This is the good news of the gospel. Oh, so in the story, so Jesus pronounces judgment on this barren fig tree. He has in mind barren Israel. And it's, a, by the way, it's kind of an apocalyptic word of judgment that foreshadows the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, something that's going to happen later. But what we begin to see in the story is that trusting God or believing in God's word and being the producers of spiritual fruit are connected. People who believe in God and what he has to say for our lives and put their trust in him are also people that bear spiritual fruit. So you might see a list of being loving and joyous and patient and kind and gentle and self-control and think, well, I want to become more loving or joyful or patient or any one of those things on that list. And you think, well, I'm going to try to become more of that person. What I would say to you is, no, 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 that's not the starting place. The starting place is focusing on God, putting your trust in God. And what Israel did not do is they did not trust God. In fact, the greatest rejection of God in Israel was the rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. They were about to crucify him. See, it appears that trusting God and producing fruit are connected, and Israel did not trust God. They rejected Jesus, and so their lives did not produce the fruit of righteousness. And, uh, and this is serious to God. It matters to God that his people produce the spiritual fruit that reveal that they are connected to him, which makes sense. I mean, it shouldn't surprise any of us. I'm going to tell you in just a minute how you can become the kind of person whose life uh, produces the spiritual fruit that honors God and advances his kingdom. Uh, but before, before I do, there's more to this passage. You see, what we begin to see is that when we do trust God, when we do have faith in God, amazing, thing happens. amazing things happen. Uh, look at verse 20. When the disciples saw it, they saw Jesus pronounce judgment on the tree, and then he... Um, then the leaves withered. They marveled. Now, it appears in this story the disciples missed the double meaning of what Jesus was doing. But when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did this fig tree wither at once? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been given, what done to the tree, but if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive if you have faith. Jesus says here, if you have faith and if you do not doubt, you'll be able to do what seems impossible. And so what kinds of things is he talking about? Well, it's the kinds of things that are amazing 
And it's the kinds of things that come out of our lives when we truly trust in God. I don't know about you, but I want to live a kind of life that is so connected to God that what comes out of it seem like miracles. It doesn't literally mean go and take a mountain and throw it into the sea, although that would be amazing. But it means living the kind of life that produces such spiritual fruit that really dynamic, exciting things happen that glorify God and impact others. It it reminds me of another passage, this this phrase, this idea of whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive if you have faith. Um, Reminds me of another passage that might be familiar to you. Um, earlier in Matthew, where, where Jesus is, is hanging with his disciples, and there's a, a man with a demon, and the, and, the, uh, and the disciples try to cast out the demon, which is pretty crazy, but they're unable to. So they go to Jesus, and they say, we cannot cast out the demon. What is the problem? And Jesus says, well, you don't have enough faith. And so Jesus casts out the demon. And Jesus goes on to say that if you have faith, you will be able to do amazing things. He says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. And here's the advantage for those that are willing to put their faith in God, believing that being connected to God and trusting God will produce the kinds of things that are good for you and for your family and for the world and honor God ultimately, uh, you will be able to see God use you for amazing things. And our lives are moving so rapidly. And we lost an hour, <laughs> right? Our lives are moving so rapidly. My, we, we were about to celebrate my oldest child's 13th birthday. And although we have enjoyed it, and I think we've been all right parents, you know, and we've soaked it up along the way, it's happening so fast. I don't want to waste a minute doing anything other than being connected to the Father and getting to see him work through me and in me to move mountains. I don't know about you. How about you? Do you want to fritter away your life and live a fruitless life disconnected from God? I don't think so. The reality is that the fruit of your life reveal whether or not you truly are connected to God. You know, in our day, the title Christian is meaningless. It is. And, and, uh, being a Christian means something, but, but, but in our day, the title Christian is meaningless because it's like anybody would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And, and, and it, it just doesn't mean anything to me anymore. In fact, when I talk to people about faith and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I would say, well, who's your pastor? What's his name? And, uh, and, and more often than not, they don't know because they don't, they're not really connected, man. They're not connected to God. By the way, my name is Russell Cravens. Anybody ever ask you that question? They're not really connected. I mean, it's easy to say, you know, look on the outside, like, yeah, I'm I'm a moral person. In fact, I even have a church that I kind of go to from time to time and not, in fact, be connected to God. And the revelation of that is there's no real spiritual fruit. There's too many people wearing Christian T-shirts while at the same time harboring racism in their heart or being uh, completely ignoring the issues of injustice that are going on in our city. That's a problem. That is... A problem. Uh, spiritual fruit reveals that you're connected to God. And so you might ask the question, so, so, uh, so what do I do? What do I do? Um, well, let me ask you this. What, what area do you lack spiritual fruit? 
the list that I provided at the very beginning, what, what is, I mean, that's just one way of thinking about it. Is it are you, do you lack love for, in the way that uh, would honor God for a type of people? How about joy or peace or patience or kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Which one of these things kind of pings in your heart of going, you know what? Man, I'm really lacking in that area. I, I, I want to become more of that kind of person. I'll tell you, one of them for me is gentleness. And um, I just want to just, just say that there are times when I'm tired or I'm stressed that I'm not gentle with my children. And I don't mean that I've beaten them. <laughs> I mean, I'm harsh with them with my words. I'm, I rush them to understand what I'm trying to get them to understand. And, and I want to grow in that area. That's an area that needs to change. I'm not always like that by God's grace, but that's an area I go, it needs to change. So, so maybe that's for you, maybe self-control. Maybe some of you are here and, and your lack of self-control is when you pick up your phone and you have access to the most vile things on the internet and you, you lack self-control to abstain from that. Or maybe your lack of self-control is, is uh, whenever you sit down with friends to, to, to share a good meal and a good drink. Maybe, maybe you lack self-control there and you're like, I want to become more self-controlled in what I put in my body. Because drinking excessively alcohol or eating excessively, it, it will harm you. It's not the way it's, your, your body will not be able to function the way it was meant to. How about love? Maybe you know that, that you lack love for a type of person. Somebody in your family, somebody that's difficult to get along with. What about peace? What is it for you? What's the fruit that you know is lacking in your heart? Jesus cares that his people bear spiritual fruit. And so we ask the question, what do we do? Some preachers might say, here's what you do. Here's how you become a more loving person, a more peaceful person, and and give you three ways and focus it on you and on peace. But what I'm going to do is do what the Bible says and tell you that our eyes must be fixed on Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, in other words, if a man trusts in me and I know him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. God cares that we, as followers of Christ, are fruit bearers. And so to get there, step number one is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because here's the thing. you will mess up. Part of what we can appreciate about Israel and their inability to obey God fully, perfectly, is that human beings on their own cannot live perfect, righteous lives. You see, the good news of the Bible, the good news that we proclaim is that the reason that Jesus came to die on a cross is because we cannot perfectly bear fruit. 
We cannot ever be perfectly loving or perfectly self-controlled or perfectly gentle or, or always faithful. We cannot do those things. And so when Jesus died on a cross, which we'll talk more about in a few weeks, when he died on a cross, what he did was pay the penalty for all those times that you and I lack love, lack self-control. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, when we focus on Jesus, what we get is the benefit that he earned by dying on the cross for sin. It's called the credit of righteousness. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to always be loving for God to say, hey, you are my child. The good news of the gospel and the reason we worship Jesus is because he was able to fulfill the law perfectly and do all those things perfectly. And with that perfect life, died on a cross, earned a credit of righteousness that's given to all those that put their faith in Jesus. And once you focus and put your faith in Jesus, you cross over that line of faith, then what you get is what Jesus got, which is a relationship with the Father. And what comes out of your life is because you're connected to Jesus. So it all starts with Jesus. And, and, and some of you are here and you're, you're not you're not into Christianity. You're not into the like Jesus thing. And, and what you may be thinking is, you know what? I'm a pretty loving. I'm a pretty self-controlled, pretty faithful, pretty peaceful. I mean, you're, you're like, I got most of those fruits, so I'm good. Here's the problem, though. You've not done those things perfectly your whole life, which means you've fallen short of the glory of God. What are you going to do about that? What the gospel says is that Jesus did something about that. He died on the cross paying the penalty for your sin. If you put your faith in him, then you get connected to God by way of Jesus, not because of your good works. That's the gospel. That's what you preach, man. And that is good news, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but this week I've not been self-controlled. I've not been faithful. I want to be more of that. So I'm going to focus on Jesus and put my trust in Jesus. But I've, I've failed in those areas. And thank God for his mercy and for his grace. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of the Bible. This is where all of the last week, or all of the Bible and all of the last week of Jesus' life is pointing to is that moment where Jesus dies on a cross so that the times when we fail to meet the perfect standard of righteousness, those times can be forgiven. That's the gospel. Do you believe that? I hope so, because that's the starting place to being the kind of people whose faith can move mountains. Uh, let's, uh, let's think on and pray about these things together. And if you're here, just go ahead and bow your head. And if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ and you're trying to understand what the difference between being a good person and being a Christian is, what I would say to you is you need to think about what you'll do about the times when you weren't a good person. What will you do with that when you stand before God? What the gospel says is that you are not a good person, not good enough of a person to make up for the times that you weren't loving and self-controlled and all the other things that are fruits of the Spirit. 
And God takes that very seriously. So seriously that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross so that your sin can be forgiven. It's not just, God is, his way is not just to point out the times you've messed up. His way is to become flesh and make a way for your sin to be forgiven. He's the only one that could do it, and he did. So maybe you're here and you're, you're wanting to know, how, how do I get connected with God so that as my faith grows, I truly am able to see Mountains move so that I could become a more loving, self-controlled and gentle and faithful person. What you do is you acknowledge your sin before God and you ask him to forgive it. You put your eyes on Jesus as best you know how. And then we begin to grow together. And you may be here and you may not believe any of that. And that's certainly your choice. But what I would say to you is, what will you do when you have to stand before God with the times that you have failed, the times that you have messed up? He cannot look over those just because you've been a pretty good person in other areas. It would be against his own character. For those of you that are here that are followers of Christ, you've crossed over the line of faith. Maybe there's an area where you are living a duplicitous life. What I would encourage you to do is to repent of it, turn away from it. You might be able to fool others, but you can't fool God. And when you turn away from that duplicitous life, what you turn towards is Jesus. And by doing so, what begins to happen is you're connected to him and you begin to bear fruit. The fruit, some of which has been strangely absent, from your life. So we're going to, with all of that, take a moment and respond in singing, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But I'm going to pray first. God Almighty, we love you, and God, I confess to you in the presence of these people, there are times when I live a duplicitous life. I try to project as being who I am and what is really I'm harboring in my heart, areas where I lack love or I lack gentleness or even I lack self-control. God, I pray that you would erase those things from my life. Help me to fix my eyes on Jesus more fully so that what could come out of my life is the kind of fruit that's so incredible that truly it's as if mountains are moving, being moved. 
I pray this for my dear friends here, the men and women who I love so deeply. I just pray, God, that we would all just get honest before you, God. We know that you take very seriously what's in our really in our hearts. And God, we at times try to fake, be fake before you, but it doesn't work. And God, we love you. And I pray for those that are here that have not yet crossed over the line of faith. I pray, God, that you'd rest their hearts. God, and that these ordinary words from an ordinary man would cut to the deepest part of them. We love you. And now we continue just in that time of response by singing this song to you. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.